Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong. I'm Jesse Chizeski Kay. Susan and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We'll touch upon topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we talk about some unexpected obstacles that stood in the way of creating a data visualization app for Fitbit data. If you've ever wanted to develop an app, this episode is for you. Let's get started. Jesse, do you use some kind of step counter to track your daily physical activities? My iPhone's health app does this, and I have to say, I haven't been checking it regularly, though, and that's mostly because I know I haven't been taking many steps. Oh, no, you really should. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) So I've been a fan of Fitbit for a long time, and we should start out by saying that this is not an episode sponsored by Fitbit. We wish. In contrast, I feel almost like I've been such a devoted customer of Fitbit over the years that almost, in a small way, I sponsor them. I mean, I've bought probably no fewer than 15 Fitbits in the past five years. Most of them are gifts for family and friends, um, for myself as well, a couple of times. Um, And what I like most about Fitbit is that there's a social um, aspect of it. So you can have these weekly challenges that you and your friends sort of are all in together, and there's a leaderboard. And so, Jesse, if you had a Fitbit, you would be checking it regularly because people would probably nudge you when you don't take very many steps. (laughs) Maybe I should get one. Although, so I have this... um just a quick side note. Uh, it's like a, a running app where you can track how much you're running. And oh. like once my mom wanted to, cause you can kind of befriend people in that too. And my mom wanted to be my friend. And I, I explained to her that, that I don't connect with people in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want people to know how much I'm running or walking, but I guess it, it's good motivation. Maybe I should do it. Well, but. I guess, I guess you could be one of the kinds of people who just looks at their own Fitbit and don't participate in these social challenges. But definitely I've seen that I walk a lot more because I have former colleagues that I'm sort of in contact with via Fitbit and, you know, they're walking a lot and I don't want to fall behind. So (laughs) it it really does sound like great motivation. Shame is a powerful motivator. That is the (laughs) truth. Yes. So anyway, other than being a fan of Fitbit, I am also a casual fan of the subreddit Data is Beautiful. This is a really great place to see other people's data visualizations. And um, now that we've already done an episode on data visualizations, you might even feel like you want to go in there and upvote the plus that you like, downvote the ones that you don't like. And if you want to get an opinion on a visualization that you've created, you can also make your own post and let the masses decide. So what's different between visualizations that you see on this subreddit versus visualizations that are popular in print um, or more formal publications is that many of these visualizations posted are really made by individuals, possibly on data they collected about themselves. So I've seen a few, um, first of all, the ones that are not related to Fitbit. Um, There are some that look at um, conversations between significant others and sort of how their relationship progressed over time. Um, There's visualizations of um, maybe dieting habits. And then when it comes to Fitbit, there's just been periodic ones that come up looking at tracking heart rates over a whole year, tracking sleep, looking at steps taken, floors climbed, um, all sorts of interesting things that people really like to share and are typically pretty well upvoted as well. 
So from time to time, somebody will post a visualization like this of their Fitbit activity. Um, and because this is a visualization for their own data, they might go in there and annotate their plots, tell a little story. Uh, maybe I started working out here in June 2015, so you see an increase in my step count and a simultaneous decline of my resting heart rate. I started a job here in August 2016, and then I stopped walking. Oh no, work should not be an obstacle towards physical exercise and well-being. Well, I am just making up an example, but yeah. you have to say, if you are stuck in meetings for two hours a day, which hopefully is not us, usually it's not us, maybe sometimes it is, um, but when you are stuck in meetings, you're probably not walking at all during those hours, so that makes it hard, but I digress. So um, for all of these different visualizations about personal Fitbit data, I was thinking, why isn't there one, one visualization engine that will simply allow anyone to upload their own Fitbit data and show plots of their activity. I think I see where this is going. Yeah, so I thought, I know R, I know ggplot, I know Shiny. Let's just take a couple of hours and hammer out a Shiny app that will allow anyone on the World Wide Web to upload their own Fitbit export data and get a detailed plot in front of their very own eyes. It, it sounds to me, Susan, like that would take a lot more than a, a couple hours. <laughs> You're so right. So, well, that gives rise to this episode. <laughs> In this episode, I thought I would just take a moment to share my journey, truly was a journey, of putting this app together. And it is online at fitbitvizwiz.ddns.net. And I will share that very, very long link as well on our website. So you can take a look for yourself if you wanted in all its inglorious imperfection. I had no idea how many rabbit holes I would fall into in the creation of this. Um, Susan, could you maybe start by summarizing what kinds of plots the app generates for your Fitbit data? Absolutely. It's nothing that's terribly fancy. Um, but I want to sort of talk about what um, Fitbit already provides to us on their website and where the shortcomings were and how that sort of um, helped me think about what would be useful to users. So depending on what Fitbit you use, the kinds of data that are tracked um, automatically by Fitbit might include steps taken, floors climbed, hours slept, your heart rate, and you can also link your device's smart scales that might additionally record your body weight and percent body fat every time you step on that scale. Fitbit's own online dashboard or log contains a number of graphs that already showcase this data over time, but usually you can only visualize one variable at a time. So you can't look at, say, the number of steps taken along with floors climbed along with your weight all at the same time. Even though it, it sounds like these are variables that might be related in a way that um, can, can reflect improvement or perhaps decline in your physical health. Exactly. So there are very good reasons why you want to look at all these things simultaneously. Look for trends. Look for times when maybe you were too busy to be concerned about your health. So the first goal for this app was to show multiple metrics simultaneously over different units of time. And the second thing that Fitbit native plots don't show are aggregate summary statistics. So you can look at how many steps you took each day of the past week or of the week prior, but if you wanted to just look at the, an average number of steps you take on Mondays versus Tuesdays, you can't do that. And, uh, and that actually could be very helpful to know if you wanted to, um, to look at ways you can incorporate more exercise into your daily life. So maybe if you were to look at a plot of um, I don't know, average activity 
per day of the week, you might discover you're simply not walking enough on Tuesdays for whatever reason. And so then you can, um, on Tuesdays, try to find more pockets um, to exercise a bit. That's what I was thinking. So, so that's actually the two points, the two main ways in which this visualization app does um, provide plots. Um, it basically shows multiple metrics of physical well-being simultaneously, and it will show different summaries, aggregate summaries for the data um, by day of the week or by month, by hour, by season, etc. That sounds straightforward enough. So my first step was what I'll call the honeymoon phase. This is the prototyping. So I basically needed to take my data, generate all the plots that I wanted from it. And this is not too different from just writing R code, the, the way we normally do things, make your variable names generic so they're not necessarily specific to me, um, and then build a series of plots that are well-labeled, well-formatted. Once that was done, I just needed to embed these things into a Shiny app. So very slight changes in or maybe additions syntax um, to sort of make it portable to the web. And um, how did this go? Mostly not too bad. Shiny, for those of you who are not familiar with this R package, is meant to provide a web interface that users can interact with to produce dynamically updated content. So in our case, th those are the plots. So the tricky part of operating with Shiny is dealing with what are called reactive components. So these are calculations or plots that can't be done or have to be redone when certain elements of the page are modified. I had experience with that, so it wasn't too difficult. Um, but the first challenge was figuring out how anybody on the web can actually input their data into the Shiny app. The way for this to work is um, to have a little file upload form object that's actually possible in Shiny. But I quickly realized that these Fitbit export folders tended to be more than 500 megabytes in size, depending on the length of the Fitbit history. Yeah, that sounds like a lot to be shuffling over the web. Um, were, uh, where were you hosting this app? So my app is currently hosted on the Google Cloud, um, the paid version. The zipped version of Fitbit files um, I found is just 50 megabytes or something. So that's easily portable. But once we upload it, if we want to do anything with the data to process it, get summary statistics, plan for the plots, we have to unzip it. Um, and I didn't really want to trigger any storage limit overage costs on Google Cloud because that can get really expensive rather quickly. So I had to figure out how we can ensure we don't rapidly fill our, our disk space if we had, say, 20 or 30 people upload their uh, Fitbit data. So would, the, um, would your plots be using all 500 megabytes of files or is there maybe some extraneous information that Fitbit included that you actually didn't need? That's a really good point. Um, there's a lot of extra information. We'll get to that later. Um, and there's also just very granular information. So that also takes space. You can get almost minute-by-minute minute step counts, for example. And I don't intend to plot step counts on a minute-by-minute minute scale. That would take up way too much space, and you probably don't want to look at that. So for me, I just wanted to look at plots where um, maybe things were broken down at most by the hour and sometimes at even coarser time intervals. So I figured that the first thing the app needs to do is read in the data, quickly process it to aggregate things um, that will ultimately be used for plotting so they just take less space. 
For the pieces of data we want to use for visualization, we're going to compress it into a binary file, which ultimately I figured could only occupy half a megabyte. That's a substantial reduction in size. And then I can just delete everything else. Okay, so the first lesson is to think through how you'll be managing the size of any input data particularly if users get to upload things. Um, was it smooth sailing from there? Not quite. Then I noticed that if people were uploading their Fitbit data, they might want a way to revisit their plots or share their plots with friends. So we can't just have people upload their data, show their plots, and then discard their data. There needs to be a semi-permanent link that each user could use to share with friends and family. And um, also, if um, we wanted to sort of make that permanently accessible. We have to have some sort of a random ID generated for each person just so that they have their own permanent link they can sort of um, access. So I, I realize that if they upload their data, I have their data. This is another issue that there's maybe privacy concerns. Um, if, if I have their data, that's kind of a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. Yes, that's right. And we don't want third parties to access our data. That's, that's becoming more and more of a problem these days. I mean, I trust myself not to be irresponsible, but why should anyone else trust me? Or maybe they don't trust Google Cloud, right? This is sort of this website that's not a person and they have your stuff. So it felt important to me to also give people a way of getting their data automatically deleted from the server as well without having to email me. So I did this by generating a random passcode for each person. Um, this is different from just having their unique ID because if they're sharing their, um, their results with their friends using that ID, I don't want their friends to be able to click on a delete button and delete everything. So they kind of had to have their own um, passcode with which they can then make their Fitbit statistics disappear from our server. And did that ease your guilt? Not sufficiently. This is because the Fitbit export also contains a lot of other metadata, like your profile picture, um, conversations you might have had in these, in these sort of competitions between you and your friends. I think most of that is encrypted, so I wouldn't easily be able to parse that into actual um, conversation dialogue. These are things I wouldn't touch anyway, and stuff that would just go straight out the window once the Shiny app parses the raw Fitbit data. But I did have to add a bold disclaimer on the page that try to be very transparent. I did wonder at one point whether I should even continue building this app or not because it's almost like I needed a lawyer up and write a formal terms of agreement just to make sure all my bases were covered. Yeah, I mean, then a, a user can agree to those terms or, or not use the app. Um, it's not a bad idea. Yeah, well, at this point, um, I felt like the disclaimer was sufficient, um, sufficient enough where I felt done with the app. I didn't feel like putting in any more time. It showed Fitbit stats from the beginning of time on one tab, by month on another, by season on a third, and so on. So I felt like it had the basic functionality I was going for, and it just wasn't worth any more time for me to pursue this idea of do I need to be more worried about the data I was collecting. Um, one thing that became obvious was that to have things broken down by time, that time was going to be really, really problematic. Like I have this plot that looks at average stats per hour by day of the week. And the notion of hour of the day and day of the week really depends on your time zone. And of course, it's also affected by daylight savings time. So, so now you have to also collect the time zones from people. Exactly. And I thought this would be easy to do just by doing some sort of additional JavaScript within the browser window. 
um, just detect where the person is uploading from. But that doesn't seem to be good enough because maybe you're on vacation in Hawaii where you're playing around with this app and you don't want the system to peg you as a Hawaii user when you normally live in New York City. So it wasn't really an elegant solution, um, but I ultimately chose to just add a drop-down menu pre-populated with a list of time zones in what's called Olsen time zone format. So um, the choices are something like America slash Los Angeles, America slash New York. It does autocomplete, so you can basically try to type in the city that's nearest to you that is also in the time zone that you're in, but it's not perfect. And uh, what about seasons? Yes. So that's another pain in the butt. If you live in the Southern Hemisphere, your seasons are different from us in the Northern Hemisphere. So I had to somehow account for that as well. And in the process of looking at this, I also learned there's a distinction between astronomical seasons and meteorological seasons. The former has to do with equinoxes. So maybe seasons would begin in on the 21st of the month. Um, and, and that just has to do with sort of the positioning of the sun and earth. Um, but the latter is a lot more convenient. Meteorological seasons will always sort of begin on the first of a month. So I ultimately chose to go with the latter. It required less explanation, justification. And then that also came to a drop-down menu where people can select which hemisphere they live in. Man, there are so many details. Yeah. And finally, at this point, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm ready to send this off. I can't see any obvious mistakes. I'm just going to send it off to some friends who can do initial round of debugging for me. It's still a clunky app to be sure, but I felt done with it. So I sent it off to a couple of friends. Yeah, um, that's a good lesson for this sort of thing in general. Uh, find a few friends who would be good sounding boards who maybe wouldn't immediately list absolutely everything that needs to be fixed right away, but, um, but who could maybe identify you know, three of the most immediate things that um, could easily be cleaned up that would dramatically improve the product. So this is where it even helps to find someone who isn't for example, a data scientist or a statistician, right? Because the target audience um, is someone who would, cons who, who would um, you know, use Fitbit for tracking their daily fitness activities. So that's sort of the kind of person I, I would want to be asking. The primary flaw that surfaced from this exchange was actually very fundamental. Um, I mentioned having to generate individual identifiers and passcodes that can be used to retrieve and delete individual Fitbit statistics. Well, this is all being printed to the screen in a rather small text box after the upload um, and, and the subsequent data parsing completes, which, by the way, could take something like five minutes, which is kind of a pain in the butt already, right? To, to press a button on your, on your uh, web browser and have to literally wait five minutes before anything happens. Um, so one worry that I had, one worry that others have had is maybe you get impatient, you close that window, boom, it's, it's gone. So you're not actually getting any information about your individual ID or passcode. So I did know this was going to be a problem at the time of coding it, but to fix it, I thought it was just going to be a lot of work. So um, for example, the, the way to fix it that I ultimately did was to implement an email server so that I can email this added information to the user's and then they'll have it forever. <laughs> and, and it sounds like you ended up doing that then, or? I caved. Um, it, it was every bit as complicated as I imagined, getting Shiny to fire off an email 
Um, well, there is actually an R package for that called SendMail R. The hard part was that the Google Cloud had closed off its outgoing mail port, that's port 25, for fear of abusers. Uh, abusers like spam bots? Yes. So you can imagine if it were easy to get a machine on Google Cloud to automatically send emails anonymously to people via some program, where maybe you just iterate over a long email list, then we might have a lot of victims of spam. The workaround is to set up something called a post-fix relay server that sends emails, say, from a particular Google account. The difference is that with this workaround, you can no longer send emails anonymously. You have to authenticate with the Gmail account, username, and password. And if you do end up abusing the service in this way, of course, they can catch you, disable your Gmail account. Very, very strong penalties. So all in all, it sounds like you had to do a lot more than just data visualization to get this thing off the ground. That about sums it up. And I don't even feel like I have a finished product yet that I'm ready to share with the world. There are a lot of other concerns I haven't even touched upon, like just how many people can connect to this shiny server at any given time before it crashes. Or if I were to deploy this as a product in an industry setting, I'd need to know, you know, so many other things, right? Like, uh, how, how can I make sure this visualization looks good for anybody independently of what version of Fitbit they have or how much data they've stored? So like, for example, I know the format of my data for my particular um, Fitbit Charge 3, and I designed everything to operate under the assumption that their Fitbit data sort of all looks the same and it could be completely untrue. Fitbit smartwatches might have different sets of information or they might have different data structures, and it could be that my program will just completely fail on those. I, I don't think I know a friend who has a Fitbit smartwatch, so this is really hard for me to test. Hmm. Well, maybe one of our listeners uses one and might be able to test it out for you. <laughs> Well, that would be really, really helpful. So if any of you are listening and are curious and don't worry too much about data, uh, the fact that I might have your data, please do go ahead and show me whether this works out. Before we conclude, I just want to say a quick thanks to cloud expert Shay Chang for assisting with Google Cloud configuration that made this Fitbit visualization tool possible. Thanks for listening to Databytes. You can now email us any questions or comments at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. The Fitbit visualization tool we talked about for this show can be found at fitbitviswiz.ddns.net. Till next time.